This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there. I hope you're all doing well. Can you believe it is only three weeks until Thanksgiving? Is that even possible? Anyway, I have all of my bare root plantings in the ground, finally. I planted silky dogwood, columbine, buttonbush, and hackberry. The great thing about bare root gardening is that the plants are mature, usually several years old. They branch out quickly and fill up empty spaces in the garden quite nicely. And because they've been through a couple of winters already, they are quite hardy. I think we've got a great show for you today. Today, we'll be speaking with author Kate Brandis about her book, Native Plants for the Small Yard. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way, you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to introduce Kate Brandis author of the wonderful book, Native Plants for the Small Yard, Easy, Beautiful Home Gardens that Support Local Ecology. If you're like me, you're already planning for next year's native gardens. With that in mind, Kate and I will be discussing the ideal native plants for small spaces. She has great ideas about using some unexpected areas in the yard for natives. Kate wrote her book as part of a community outreach effort with the Lehigh Gap Nature Center's Landscaping for Communities and Wildlife Gardens program in Slattington, Pennsylvania. The goal was to reach out to homeowners who were trying to grow native plants for the first time. As we all know, when it comes to native plants, you can't have just one. Once you realize how beautiful natives are and how they attract birds and butterflies to your yard, you become addicted and you have to have more. Her book project was made possible through funding and grants from several organizations and state agencies. Lehigh Gap Nature Center has made the book available on their website free of charge. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you on the show. Can you tell us about your book, Kate? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So I wrote this book. I was part of a grant project, a grant funded project that I was doing for a local nonprofit organization. I worked for them for about five years. And this book, even at the very beginning of that work, was something that we wanted to do. And the book features, you know, different plant designs for small spaces that incorporate native plants into a yard. And the reason we wrote the book was the project that I was doing for that five years was to put native plants into the local area and local for me is the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, which is on the eastern part of Pennsylvania. And we knew that there were a lot of native plant resources out there for big yards. And there were a lot of examples of about using native plants in, you know, large spaces. You know, we have a beautiful botanical gardens in our area. There's people there use native plants. So people see them there, but 
often they don't see them in a small space and there aren't a lot of examples for how to use native plants in a small space. So that's what the book is about. And it gives, you know, clear examples for people if they want to try that in their own yard. Our approach was sort of to take that traditional landscape look, but instead of using ornamental plants to substitute with beautiful natives and Our thought was that if enough people did this in our neighborhoods around our area, our local area, that, you know, collectively then you begin to create this habitat for the local ecology, one little strip of yard at a time, one little mailbox garden or one little downspout garden or, you know, front porch garden at a time. And people begin to draw in butterflies, they begin to draw in more birds, and there's then a connection too for that homeowner or that resident um, when they start to see some things coming into their yard. And, you know, we hoped that that would kind of forge a sort of bond between people and, and what the local ecology around them in some ways. That's sort of our loftiest goal for the project. But um, that was kind of our thinking about it all. I think that's a great idea. It sounds like keeping up with the Joneses could soon mean having a beautiful native garden in your front yard. <laughs> which would be really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think our, in some ways what we did was kind of keep up with the Joneses, but do it in a slightly different way, you know? So that is such a strong inclination for people. How we feel about our yards, I think goes back culturally, like pretty deep, you know? (laughs) And I know there are, you know, movements about get rid of all your lawn and, and things like that. And I think that's a wonderful idea for many people, but there's also a whole lot of people who just would never do that. And so we try to meet people kind of where they were and to try to offer them other choices that, and and also do some education about what those other choices would, would mean for them. And to, you know, the book offers plants that, you know, there, there are a lot of different natives out there. Not all of them, in my opinion, are appropriate for a small yard because you have some that are really spread aggressively. And so we, you know, really tried to offer people designs that incorporated natives that would work in a small space. Right. Now, I I see from your book, you have nine basic garden templates, one of which is a downspout garden, a water feature garden, a front porch garden, even the uh, area in the front lining the street. I call it the hell strip. You even have gardening plans for that. Could you maybe talk about a few of those different types of gardens? Sure. Yeah. Well, so what we tried to do when we were thinking about the garden designs to put in there, where where we sort of thought about, okay, well, what's the typical small yard, you know, and maybe even what's the typical urban yard. And so uh, we tried to think about all of those different scenarios. So like, as you described, we have like a little front porch garden, a little back patio garden. If people have a tiny little water feature on their property, a rock wall. We have a rock wall garden. There's a garden that's just around a mailbox. So we tried to just think of a lot of different options and ideas for people who, again, don't have a lot of property, but maybe want to put native plants in. And, you know, our concept for this was that we wanted, basically, the the project that I was part of was to encourage homeowners to incorporate native plants. And we started that project by kind of doing some research on social science behind how people make decisions about their yards. And that was really fascinating. 
because, you know, kind of when some of that, that research revealed that people generally, you know, we're talking about like the general population, people want to fit in to their neighborhood and they, they want to be accepted and they want to sort of way and they would have a good experience. That was our goal. We wanted people to have good experience with native plants um, and using them as kind of a landscaping feature. Right. So in your book, you're, you're not necessarily saying don't have any lawn at all, but you're saying you can enhance what lawn you have by including native shrubs and native flowers so that you're supporting the local ecology. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we would not say don't have any lawn. I, I think that's not, I mean, at least for our project and the intention of our project, which was really to engage people who had never really tried natives at all, who, you know, really liked their yard, but maybe, you know, were open to the idea of trying something new. We wanted to reach those people. And so we, ne- we, we never said get rid of your lawn or even modify your lawn. You know, I mean, they could, but, you know, really what we were encouraging people to do was Maybe you create a new small garden space in your yard and host native plants there. Or, you know, maybe you just try some native plants um, in existing garden beds, you know. So it was really just trying to introduce people to the idea. The project that we did for that I started talking about in the beginning that lasted five years, we sort of approached this whole concept in this strategic way. And, you know, the first step was to reach out to a whole bunch of public spaces like schools, businesses, museums, libraries, all kinds of public spaces. And we had grant money and we were able to work with those public spaces and develop like example gardens using only native plants. And we did that in many places around our local area, the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, and we went back to each of those gardens. So we started the, you know, the, all, all, those were installed over a five-year period. There were 40 or 50 gardens. And once they were installed and they were installed with the, you know, whoever owned that property with the school or with the library, we went back there and monitored those gardens three times a year post-installation to work with the landowner to maintain the gardens, but also a we did it as an experiment. You know, we planted these gardens using different plants and we wanted to see what worked, what didn't. We surveyed community members about their thoughts on the gardens and all of that. And, you know, again, over like five years and all of that information we took and applied to this book. So, you know, we really tested out these designs and we really took seriously people's public perception of these garden spaces so that we could offer designs that were, you know, well-researched and sort of thought out and tested. Yeah, that is great. Now, in your book, you mentioned several non-native plants that you suggest replacing with natives. You include in that Mm -hmm. Japanese barberry. Could you talk about that plant for a second? Sure, yeah. I mean, what we did is we tried to think through, like, what are the main invasive plants? And so by invasive, that's different from... um, you know, non-native and invasive is actually doing damage to the local ecosystem. So we've thought about what are the main invasive plants that people garden with in their yard? You know, barberry is one of those things. And what we wanted to do is say, okay, well, these are sort of the top five invasive plants that people garden with. And here are some great substitutes that are native. Invasive plants are harmful to the environment, you know, the ecology, while natives are beneficial. And so we just wanted people to be able to, we actually created 
separate from the book, we created a little pocket guide that people could just keep with them. And when they were shopping at their nursery, native or non-native at their nursery, they, they could get, you know, take out the little guide and rather than buying the barberry, they could buy, you know, the native substitute. So we just thought, well, you know, what are the most, you know, we, we wanted to encourage native plantings, but also we wanted to sort of curb, you know, people often choose plants at a, at a nursery that are convenient or that they know. And unfortunately, some of those are these harmful invasive plants. So we just wanted to offer a different option. Now with Japanese barberry, what, what do you suggest as a replacement? Well, there's, there are a number of things. I mean, people do pick sometimes Japanese barberry because, you know, it's sometimes selected as a hedge specimen because it has, you know, some barbs on it. And so it can prevent sometimes people from coming in, like, you know, they might, they might want to block traffic from that direction. So um, it's sometimes selected for that reason. But, you know, in this case, we, we offered the idea of like Virginia sweet spire, which is, you know, a similar size, but does not have bark, you know, like it's, it's not going to, you could walk through it, but it's a similar size, a similar look, but it also like the Virginia sweet spire also offers like scented flowers and turns a nice color in the fall and has similar properties to the Japanese barberry, but it's instead of a native plant and not an invasive one. Now, what about vinca? You mentioned vinca in the book. It seems like everyone has vinca in their yard. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, that's considered invasive in some areas. I think it depends on where you are, whether these plants are considered invasive or not. Vinca is popular because it's very easy. It's a ground cover that is easy to grow and kind of holds things down and you don't have to mow it, you know. So I, I understand the attraction. You know, there are other other alternatives, native plant alternatives. I'm, although, you know, I don't know that I know of any native plant alternative that's going to kind of do what Vinca does um, in that regard, like being that sort of aggressive on one hand, but, you know, it just does a good job at what it does. So there are certainly things like wild ginger is a, a good ground cover, but, you know, it, all of these things depend on sort of where you are and the location and that sort of thing. Right. Now, you also mentioned purple loosestrife. That uh-huh. would be a good alternative for that. Yeah, so purple loosestrife is a invasive plant. Um, it likes wet areas. So, you know, there are native alternatives like Liatris, Blazing Star, Joe Pieweed is um, a, a nice one. Um, the, both of those plants are also wet-loving. So we tried to, you know, when we thought of the native alternative, we tried to think about, well, where does this invasive grow? And, you know, what are the growing conditions that would match with a, with a native? So those are both similar purple color, you know, similar in that way, similar growing conditions. And, you know, unfortunately, purple loosestrife is sometimes still sold as a garden plant. So that's, you know, the idea that we would not want people to be buying that at a nursery and letting it, because then it will jump from the yard into the you know, wild ecosystem and spread like crazy. Right. So can we switch back for a minute to your nine templates? Could you talk a little bit about the downspout garden? Sure. Yeah. That is one that takes rainwater from your rain gutter, you know, and comes out in the downspout area. And so it's, it's a bit of a kind of like a rain garden kind of feel to it because, you know, it'll be a place where when it rains, that area is going to be pretty wet. 
but then it can get dry if it's not raining for a while. So the garden is designed with like, these are very small and simple, but there are rocks, you know, that are shown in the design right where the water comes out of the downspout, because that's going to be an area where, you know, there's going to be a lot of water at times. So the rocks are there to sort of stabilize the soil. But then surrounding that, there are a number of things like the liatris, the blazing star, lobelia, fox sedge, which is sort of a wet loving thing, turtle head, little joe, pieweed, again, you know, really um, wet loving things. But those, you know, all of those things also can take a little bit of dryness too then. So that's the idea. Right. So you're saying it acts as a rain garden by absorbing excess water. Mm-hmm. Provides yes. The beauty of blooming flowers. That's a exactly. Nice combination. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes, you know, a downspout can be kind of like a place that you ignore, you know. <laughs> so this is a way of even beautifying that area you know, and making it an amenity rather than just something that's sort of off to the side. That's really nice because the downspout area is usually the ugliest part of the side of the house. Right, right. Yeah. And each of the garden designs, we offered different plants, like a a different array of plants for depending on the condition. So the, the plants that I just mentioned are for conditions of like wetter with more sun, but we also had alternatives. So if you have like a wetter and shadier area, we had alternatives for that. I mean, it would always be a wet kind of environment, but you know, whether you had sun or shade in those conditions, we tried to offer ideas either way. Right. Now, what about, I call it the hell strip, hell strip mm-hmm. gardening out on the edge of the street there. What do you suggest for an area like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough area. You know, this would be like the area between the sidewalk and the road. You know, sometimes there's like a little green strip there. That can be a tough area. And we tried to pick out plants that were very resistant to, you know, kind of hardy and resistant to being dry and in these harsh conditions. And it would be dry and harsh there because, you know, it's it's sort of surrounded by pavement and concrete. It gets very hot. And again, if you're in sort of an urban area, which is this garden, you know, would likely be in that kind of a place. The temperatures are going to get hot. It's going to be dry. So, you know, we picked things simple again, you know, like Amsonia, Blue Star, Moss Flocks, kind of a combo of that. There were other ideas, like there are always other ideas that, you know, like creeping juniper, stone crop, which is, um, you know, another option. Butterfly weed is a tough little plant, you know, that would kind of work in this area. So we just tried to offer some different ideas. You know, not all natives will work everywhere. So as any gardener knows, it's like you just sometimes you have to try a little bit of this and a little bit of that and see what see what works. And so we just tried to offer enough ideas that people could have that you know, ability to kind of try this and that. Right. It's such a great idea because the hell strip is usually such a dead zone. It's yeah. usually just grass or dirt. You know, that's the place where the delivery men pull up with their trucks and trample the, trample the ground. They bring boxes to the front door and you have the U S postal service delivering the mail. So the idea of having native plants out there is a great one because they're much tougher. They can mm-hmm. take a lot more abuse than, say, your mm-hmm. average non-native. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I even think of, like, the High Line in New York City that's all planted, not strictly with natives, but there are quite a few natives in there. And, I mean, that's, you know, basically on a rail bed. I mean, it is watered and cared for by gardeners, but a lot of the times it's just a very harsh environment. And 
they work with natives there because they don't mind that, you know, some of them, some natives don't mind that kind of environment. Right. Right. Now tell me about the front porch garden. Yeah. So the front porch garden, sort of the idea for this garden came from my own front porch, which is the drawing and stuff is kind of like the way my own front porch is laid out. And again, we just thought, you know, a lot of, we thought of like the typical urban little house with a little tiny piece of yard in the front. And, you know, maybe there's a porch that you sit on. And so we just wanted to design some, you know, something for that. So it's a, it's maybe a little bit bigger of a garden thinking that, you know, maybe it has like a front and a side porch area. And here we tried to work with some of the ground cover kind of in the foreground. So some lower kind of plants, you know, like ginger, green and gold, or flocks, woodland flocks. And then, you know, closer to the porch, taller things would be possible, like black cohosh, garden flocks, things like that. Those are the plants that we sort of thought would be appropriate for like wetter shadier conditions but again the book offers options if you have like a drier sunnier porch situation you know so it it has all of those different options you know dry and more shady drier and more sun or wetter and more sun um you know has all of those varieties now you mentioned gardening at your home are you finding you're the Mm -hmm. pioneer in your neighborhood are there any other people planting natives in your neighborhood we do have some people planting natives. You know, one of the things that I I think is great on a neighborhood level, and I belong to, you know, every year I have a friend who does a perennial exchange. Um, so she's just been doing this for years and years. And everybody who comes to the perennial exchange is not a native enthusiast by any means. But I bring my natives there and people try them. And, you know, sometimes people bring a native and I would try something else, you know. And I have friends, gardening friends, who are in my neighborhood. I live in a very small town, but in my neighborhood, you know, there are people who really, I think (laughs) the most powerful thing is when you find just people who just enjoy gardening, period. People are interested. If you enjoy gardening, you're interested in plants. And I think then you have friends who are interested in plants. And, you know, that's probably the way that I've shared natives mostly on a personal level is, you know, either going to these perennial exchanges that aren't native, but, you know, there are natives in the mix or exchanging things with my gardening friends. Cause I mean, any gardener knows you don't really want to go to the nursery too often. If you can help it, you just want to have your friends plants <laughs> if possible. So to, you know, trade plants with people. And, you know, I have, I don't have strictly natives in my yard. I have many, many natives. I, I live on just a quarter acre, so I don't have a lot of yard space. And there were no natives when I got to my house, uh, moved in there. Well, it's been about 10 years now, but there were, you know, we started from scratch and, oh, I don't know how many we have, but a lot of, lot of different varieties, maybe 50, 60, just in that little quarter acre. And it's not as though we have a lot of yard too. So it's not as though, you know, we just don't have it. We have only just plants. <laughs> so we have lawn too, lawn and, and natives. And it looks, you know, it fits in with our, it, very much in the vein of this book, I think our yard fits in with our neighborhood and people feel like it looks nice. Our yard just made like the, our town puts out like a little newsletter every week and there's a a picture featured on the top of the newsletter and our yard made the newsletter. Uh, So I felt like that was a good compliment. I did not take the picture. Somebody else did, but anyway, yeah. 
That is great. That was going to be my next question is how are the neighbors reacting to your yard? Mm-hmm. I was going to ask if you were getting a sort of that look that I get from my neighbors. <laughs> but it sounds like your neighbors are actually a little more accepting of native plants. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they know what they're looking at necessarily, you know. But I guess what we have tried to do is in our yard is we've tried to maintain almost a traditional landscape look in some ways, right? Like we have gardens in the front. We have shrubs. We have a front porch garden. <laughs> we have a water feature. We have a rock garden. We have all these things in in, in our yard. We have a, a drain spout garden, but it, it looks very maintained and it looks very, you know, it, it looks very traditional in a lot of ways. It's just that instead of having an ornamental perennial, we have natives instead. We have native grasses incorporated into some of our beds and things like that. So our way of doing it is not for everyone, but I do think that people then will take my native plants if I want to share them and try it in their yard more readily, maybe because they see that it's working so well. And that that was sort of the whole concept behind the project that I worked on for five years and the development of this book was to kind of try to offer the native plants in this more traditional context of landscaping in a yard and see if that might be more attractive to people because we really our objective was to get people to incorporate natives in their yard one way or another and we just thought that this might be an interesting tact to take right so it sounds to me like your neighbors are really enjoying the beautiful colors of your native flowers and the butterflies and birds that you're drawing through your yard i think that's Mm -hmm. wonderful yeah, yeah. We have a neighbor who lives just a couple doors down and she's not a gardener. I, I mean, I love her. She's my friend and we go running all the time together, but she, you know, will come over to my yard and she'll be like, oh my gosh, look at all the birds you have. I'm just two doors down. And I don't, <laughs> she's always saying she has nothing. <laughs> and it's because she doesn't garden. She doesn't have any plants outside at all. She's just not, you know, that's not on her radar screen, but she always remarks that there are so many birds in our yard and it's just, you know, really it's, we live very close together. So it, it does make a huge difference. Absolutely. Right. It's sort of like planting natives along with non-natives. It's sort of like leaving food along the edge of the wild area, trying to lure the shy woodland creatures out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that they, they'll, um, you know, at least enjoy the natives, if not actually, tr- you know, try them in their own yeah. yard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would think it'd be less scary for people to think, oh, I can have my traditionally non-native lawn and Mm -hmm. yard, but I'm going to plunk these natives Mm -hmm. in. And I think it's sort of like, what's that saying? You know, once you've tried one, then you have to have more. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what happens. Even in my own yard, you know, I love all kinds of plants and I don't have all natives in my yard. I do have For me, plants are important pieces of people that I know, you know, plants from friends. I have flowers from my grandmother. I have plants from people I've known, you know, that are no longer here. And they're all kind of memories and they're not all native. Some are. But, you know, I think people think about their yards like that a lot of times. Like they want the lilacs, which are not native because that's what their grandmother had or that's what they remember you know, as a child or whatever. And I think that's fine. (laughs) But I also, you know, think it's a great thing to 
to incorporate natives and maybe build and start to build an understanding of how important that is. How felt, you know, what, a, how important that is to our connection to all of these other creatures out there. Right. And you can bring them into your yard by doing that. And otherwise you won't be able to, because the natives are, you know, required food for insects, birds, etc. So anyway, I think sometimes in, when we're talking about native plants, and I think this is less so now, but I think in the, in the beginning native plants, it was sort of an all or none feeling. And I, I don't personally think that's the right message. I think it's, the right message for people in order to get people to buy in is, you know, we'll try this too, you know, try natives and learn about them and, but, you know, keep the plants that you love. Maybe we'll talk about invasive plants too. I do hold those in a separate category. I don't think people should have invasive plants in their yard, but that's something people can come to. I'd like to thank Kate Brandis for joining us today. You can download the digital version of her book, Native Plants for the Small Yard, at no cost by going to the Lehigh Gap Nature Center's website at lgnc.org. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young you will be rewarded with many hours of bird-watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.